0: I am Sumit Gupta and this is Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams at work and life. This is a podcast for people who know deep inside that there is more. Have you achieved a great deal of success, but on the inside you still feel empty and like an imposter? Do other people see you as a strong leader and you wonder why it still feels so lonely and suffocating? The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the Leadership Journey Series. I am interviewing leaders with an interesting story to learn how they got where they are today. We all have a lot to learn from each other's stories of where we started, where we are now, and our successes and struggles on the way. With this series of interviews, my attempt is to give leaders an opportunity to share their stories and for all of us to learn from their generous sharing. Gilad is the founder and CEO of Cora Sustainability. Cora focuses on empowering people for taking climate action by measuring, rewarding, and incentivizing individuals and organizations to reduce their carbon footprint. In the interview, Gilad talks about how he spent 25 years of his life doing m and and realized that he doesn't want to spend the rest of his career making rich people richer. He now works to solve the biggest challenge humanity faces, which is climate change, but through a unique rewards-based approach. Listen to this episode as we discuss fear, ego, greed, taking responsibility but without any burden seeing money as energy and the importance of our body when it comes to leadership hi gilad welcome to the choosing leadership podcast
1: hi sunmeet i'm very happy to be here with you today
0: good to good to have you with us yeah. to begin with for our listeners can you start by giving a brief introduction about who you are and what do you do hey, my name is gilad
1: as you said and uh, i'm uh, i decided that it's my role in life as a father and a human being to to fight climate change so that's what I'm doing. I am now running my second startup in the field. First I tried to develop a new way of doing a renewable energy vertical axis wind turbine and now I took the decision that the way to scale up climate action is through changing of the economy. So that's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned about being a father and human being. Can you share a little bit more about what drove you or what led you to doing what you're doing today? What are the key inspiration behind it?
1: Yes, I think that I uh, used to, to be an investment banker. I did M&As for uh, more than 25 years and uh, I seen a lot of things in the negotiations rooms and uh, I started to ask myself post 2008, what does it mean? So it's nice to make uh, rich people richer. And I have no, I have nothing against rich people and people that really making out a lot of money out there don't misunderstand me. That's fine. They're also a great drivers for the economy. But I started to look at climate in 2004 and also through my, you know, a lot of work with myself, a lot of meditation, yoga practices, and few others. I started to ask, what is it all about and what am I living for my children in <laughs> terms of Am I leaving them more money as investment banker or am I leaving them the chance to live in a world the way I saw it I'm talking from nature point of view when I was a kid. So that's what I mean by, I think this is basic and then it's not only my children. I think it's the children of the world. And I also look at ourselves as the children of the world. So I think that we have to change the way of thinking of how we are doing things because we have this trophic old GDP, we measure everything as a GDP per capita. And for us, progress is made in those terms and I in-, in purpose put it into a single number. But I think that there is a cost and there are elements that we are not counting when we are focusing only on one KPI.
0: Exactly. I think, I think you raise a very important point here. And I do see business as a force for good on our planet. But at the same time, measurement can be a tricky slope because if you reduce measurement to one number, we just focus on that. And then everything else is externalized, right? So companies are growing, but there's a huge core cost to it, which nobody is counting, at least not in the traditional accounting sense. And now we have to repay, we are repaying that cost in very different ways. So, you mentioned 2004. Did something happen or did something trigger that Rick, change in thinking or change in perspective for you at that point?
1: To be honest, 2004, it was just a business opportunity at that time. But once I, I, so I invested in this technology of the vertical axis wind turbine, and when I, once I did it, I started to dive into it. Once I dived into it, I looked at the bigger picture. And just to add, again, I like to think in in bigger pictures, Mm -hmm. to add to what you said. It's quite interesting because we all kind of splitting our working time with our leisure time. And in our leisure time, we love the nature, we love to laugh, we love to do many things. But so to speak, companies are only focusing on one thing without looking at, so to speak, the leisure time of a company, what else can I do in order to make this place better? So just a thought that came across me when you were talking about it.
0: Yes, yes. But tell me more about yourself. 25 years at you, that's what you said with m and and now two companies, two startups. What has led uh, for you to be in this journey? Any key incidents or people that uh, has shaped who you are?
1: Yes, 2008, uh, I lost two things. I lost a partner. And I lost a partner physically. One of my partners passed away and he passed away because of the stress of two transactions that went down the drain because of that. And that kind of shocked me. And we were supposed to make these huge fees that investment bankers can make. And that made me to think, what's the point? And I started to look around and I started to analyze what I see. And I saw a few things. And. One thing I saw that we humanity trying to resolve a problem that we created through economical actions with a punishment system, with additional tax, that's the carbon tax or the carbon credits. So I don't understand why do we think that we can resolve an issue that was created by certain way of thinking with the same way of thinking. I'm talking here very philosophically. And if you think about it, the carbon credits are, they were born in the, um, in 1997, it was a Kyoto Protocol. And since then, the single KPI that I look as the most important in climate, which is parts per million or PPM, just grew and grew. And Mm -hmm. since Paris, since 15, it grew from, I think it was 380 at Paris. Now it's 420. So think, I, I didn't check what happened in 97, but you can imagine. So that's one thing. The other philosophical thing that I looked at it is that climate is a problem of generations. So my question is, how come that people that sitting in power at a period of four years, maybe sometimes eight, can resolve a problem of generations? There is no fit here. Now, also, if you look at whatever is now decided, and I have also a lot to say about the net zero. We're talking about 2030 at the best, some people talking about 2040, some about 2050. It doesn't give us anything. And that's all these things trigger me to think, hey, we have as people, we are the cause. I started to look at the mirror and I worked a lot with my fears and then with my ego. And then I said to myself, I need to look, first place I have to look at is at the mirror and ask myself, where is my responsibility? Not what Shell is doing to me, not what the president of the US is confirming or not confirming, and ask myself, what will happen if we can put together 8 billion people that starting to act? Because mm-hmm. Shell gives us what we are demanding. And the meat industry is giving us, I don't eat for 35 years, but it doesn't matter. I still part of, the, of humanity and the meat industry give us what we demand. We demand that from, so they give it to us. Mm-hmm. So it's our responsibility as individuals to act together. And then I saw that why people don't act.
0: Yes, so two, two, two very important things are coming to me and I want to focus on what you are doing. But before that, just go a little bit deeper into what you said instead of pointing fingers to look at yourself and asking that, what is my role? What is my responsibility? And that changes the entire perspective uh, of how you act in the world. But at the same time, that can also be uh, a very difficult personal process. That can also be like feeling the whole weight of the world on your shoulders. So can you share a little bit more about that process for you and what has helped you through that process?
1: That's a very good question. And I think that what helped me through this process is really, as I said, I started many years ago to work on my fears. I didn't want my fears to control me. And then suddenly I realized that there is another guy that controls my life. And that's the ego. And I I see, by the way, ego and fears as the yin yang, that's the way I look at them. And then once you start to look at your ego, it's much easier for you to look at the mirror and say, Hey, where is my responsibility? There was less and less resistance from my being. For me to ask these questions. It was less and less I could be more and more honest with myself because that ego, (laughs) that small devil did did not take over and reject those thoughts. And I think that's really what helped a lot.
0: Yeah. And can you share a little bit more about the yin and yang for the ego and the fear? Because I know a lot of listeners might not be aware of this context. Maybe take an example from your life or something else which you have noticed.
1: It's simply that I think that I really believe, a huge believer in the yin and yang. I'm a huge, try to look at everything. Two major forces that are surrounding us. I like that concept because it's also simplifying. Now, fears and ego, they are great. Fears, they are protecting us and ego is give us the drive. That's great. The problem is that when they are growing too much, too Mm. big on on us, and they are starting to control us, that's when it starts to icing to be an issue. As I said, it's the protection versus the drive. That's why I look at it in this way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think you, you mentioned something like very beautiful that like, who owns what? Does the fear owns me or do I own that process? And you said fear could be a warning signal. Fear could be, in that way, fear could be a friend. Fear could be, but if I let that over dominate me, then it can drive the ego into directions which like not really of my conscious
1: choosing. And you said it very correctly. The fear can be my friend, which means I'm not trying to control my fear. I'm also don't try to control my ego. When they are popping out, I look at them, they look at me. I get the information from them, but I'm not trying to suppress them.
0: Yeah, and this reminds me of of something which I heard from one of my teachers. And he's told me that uh, we think that fear stops us, but fear never stops us. What stops us is that we stop fear. And then that creates a whole cycle of resistance and negative energies, which stops future action. So now coming to the future, coming to you seeing fear for what it is, you seeing the ego, but not letting be driven by that. And you taking on that responsibility of larger posture, not just for yourself, but for the world. How does it feel different, first of all, internally for you? And then how does your actions change going forward? Because I'm sure the fear and the ego are still there. They don't just disappear. So how do you deal with Diane and Yang st- while still being an observer of them?
1: Very much observer. You're right. The word observation is very important. When people ask me, can you teach me how to meditate? I'm saying I'm not a meditation teacher, but I can tell you two things. Number one, stop to want, and number two. Become an observant, it's very much in line with the way of thinking. I started to process, it's really interesting what you are saying, because the idea of what I'm doing today, which is Kora, which is and we can discuss that, came through at a Tai Chi practice. So I suddenly felt physically, what is the meaning of money as energy? And that's how the whole process started. And it took me quite a long time to develop it to what it is today. But I think that if I wouldn't let those two guys stop to control me, I couldn't be open enough to develop this concept.
0: Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. I think you you condensed a lot of wisdom in a few minutes, but if you were to expand on it, how would you do that?
1: On which part? On what we are doing or on the process?
0: On the process. And we'll come to what you're doing.
1: It's difficult for me, really, sometimes... I cannot really, I did have the aha moment, mm-hmm. because, as I said, when I was practicing the Tai Chi, I physically felt that money is energy because when you're practicing Tai Chi you're practicing on energies, yeah. amongst other, on and, and flow of energies in the body and in the organs, and suddenly somewhere, and I cannot explain where from, these are things I cannot explain them from the unconsciousness, from whatever that is. Suddenly I connected uh, money to energy. And then I said, so if money is energy, why can't we turn energy into money from the metaphysics way of thinking and to create a metaphysics uh, law of uh, energy preservation. So that was uh, in a way the process. And from there, it was more like through meditations and also brainstormings, discussions with friends. So that's when the cognitive part started to bring it all together, but it all started from the process of just letting go, just not being in control. And when you are not in control, at least for me, when I'm not in control, suddenly things coming to me. And that's why many people react and saying, this is a great idea, but for me, I just look at it as something that came to me, not that I went to look for it. And I didn't think that practice, ah, now I want to invent something new. Absolutely not.
0: That's so wonderful to hear because a lot of my work with leaders is to help them see beyond the cognitive mind or to help them get to a deeper level of connection to their body. And what you're saying something, I felt something which I cannot really describe. And then letting go is what unlocks that. I think we try to be in control and especially fear makes us or wants us to be always in control and predict things. In a way, business is very much like reduce the uncertainties. How can you predict behavior? And yes, we have seen, we have seen a lot of economic prosperity because of that. But once people are able to learn to slow down, let go of the cognitive mind and the controlling part, the intuition really kicks in. Uh, And what you notice, you start to feel and you start to feel other people. You start to listen to what is not being said and again, as I said, it's very difficult to explain, but when that happens, you can actually see more clearly, as you said, for you, what your role was or what your responsibility was became evident in a, it be, it's like clear thinking. It's, but without thinking, right? Without the cognitive thinking. And then you use the cognitive thinking when you need it, but not be driven by it.
1: This is very interesting. What you just said, because you spoke about the let go. And much better than what I can only describe what happened to me. I don't think I could let go if I wouldn't, first of all, deal with my fears. If I would not deal with the fears first, because that's the fear that we have. The fear that we have that if we let go the cognitive part. We will make mistakes and people will take advantage of us, whatever. I'm not afraid of that. I don't afraid that someone will try to take advantage of me. I don't afraid that physically people can hurt me and I hope that will never happen, but emotionally people cannot hurt me because I have myself, I have that system, Mm. which I accept. I'm not, I always say that I love myself not in love, I'm not in a narcissist way, in in an acceptance, in an acceptive way. Yes. And then once I have myself, I can let go because then nothing threat, there is no threat from the outside. Yes, I'm not always right. And I have to listen and I can get input from the outside world. And that's what happening also today. We have a team, we're working together. I'm not the genius in the room. Yes. And that's, by the way, the ego part that tells me, Gilad, relax, just let others to bring in more. But also, I don't have the fear that someone will take over because I am I feel that I'm more in harmony with myself. Hence, I'm not afraid of letting go.
0: Yes, I think that's so beautiful. And this brings us uh, like the, the meditation and the observer like how that applies in real world. And, and like, I, I remember uh, an example from one of one of my coaches, when we started to work, there was a lot of like, this person hurt me or they did that and that one. And now he is like, nobody has that permission to upset me. Nobody can make me angry because I will not allow that. So he has that sense of self that I see the emotion, but it's still separate and I can choose to act or be angry if I want to, or if I choose to, but I don't have to do that. And I can just let it flow, let it come and let it go like an observer. And then that allows me to be much more responsible, much more relaxed. I can let go of control, but still be able to do my job to take on my responsibility better.
1: I think that anger comes from pain. Pain and fear. I think both. Yeah, Yeah, true. Pain and fear. I agree. Yeah. You're you're angry, and when I find myself angry, I check myself what triggered me, not why, but what triggered me to, I'm not being hard on myself, but I'm really, and I wouldn't say I'm disappointed, but I'm saying that if I became angry, that means that I let, I became weak and I let the ego to kick in. So I'm trying to observe that as well.
0: Yes, yes. And that uh, reflective process where you reflect over the anger, I think that's where the strength comes in. That's the, when you feel most vulnerable and weak, but that requires courage, right? So That's the paradox here that every everywhere you need to be vulnerable, it appears weak, but it's actually a courage. You cannot be vulnerable without being courageous. Yeah.
1: T- totally. I think the weakness is the anger. The weakness is anything that we let to control us. And that's the weakness is not to be able to say, I'm sorry, to ma- to say I made a mistake. That's the weakness.
0: Absolutely. I think so many things which we see from the business world or from the male dominated uh, societies, which uh, is traditionally seen as trends or, um, or like machismo stuff like that, is actually coming from fears and insecurities and asking for help, saying, I don't know, uh, saying, hey, how can you help me or I'm lost? I don't know the way, is actually science of strength or, or letting those emotions out, like saying that I am scared or saying that I have tears or and letting those tears come out is are actually science of strength because it brings people together. It opens up so much possibilities.
1: Yeah, when I meet people, I, to tell you the truth, I'm using one 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 trick and I'm always saying the sentence that I'm half genius IQ 7. And then one, one smart person asked me, Gilad, why are you saying that? And I told him that And this is when I meet new people. And I say that because that's immediately take away the egos from the conversation. And now we can start to have a conversation. So I'm using it quite a lot, I must admit.
0: And it works. Yes, I think it brings down uh, other people's defenses as well. Yeah, yeah. So now coming to the real world, right? Let's move on from the philosophical to the real world. With Cora and what you're doing, how does this translate into action? How does the money as energy, how does all of this translate into action and what are you creating?
1: So, after a long process, that was really long. As I say, I'm not that smart. What we decided to do is to reverse, very simple, if you think about it, it's super simple. Instead of punishing for a mission, we are rewarding for a reduction of serious. Mm -hmm. That's all what we do. So we're saying, because Going back to what we discussed, why people are not acting. They know it's a problem. They are disappointed with the government. They're also disappointed with themselves. They want to change, but they cannot. And why they cannot? For a few reasons. Number one is because they don't understand. We don't really understand what is one ton of CO2 or one kilo of CO2. People don't really get it. We know what is kilo. We know what is kilometer, but not a CO2. Number two, they feel that they're too small. And you mentioned that. And number three, they're saying, hey, if I'm acting, that's fine. But Sumit is not doing anything. So we also should do, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> going out of the mirror, like you're saying to, to the real world. So these were the three things that we eh, 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 observed. There are a few more, but these are the key ones. So we said, what if we'll give you a tool that number one helps you to understand how your actions are different, okay? How the process, and tell you, it's like what we do, we call it a carbon diet. We help you to go into a carbon diet, okay? So you know where you're starting from because you live in the Netherlands, so your carbon footprint is 7 tons per year, yes? And we tell you, take and set a goal for the next 12 months, not Mm. for 2050, not for 2030, but next 12 months, How much do you want to reduce? You say, I want to reduce 500 kilos. I want to go from seven to six and a half ton. Okay? Which is a great start. And in order to do that, I'm willing to bike. Okay, in the Netherlands, everyone is biking to work. Yes. And to reduce, to go from five times meat per week to four times film. That's what I'm willing to do. Okay? And then we are saying, great, we will measure it for you. So you don't have, you can see that how it's working. And not only that, for every 100 grams of CO2 that you are reducing or saving or avoiding, we will reward you with a token. So now we're reversing the economy from the economy that is measuring everything based on something that's creating emission. We are measuring something that is avoiding the emission. A new economy is coming to the world. And now you can take this token and you can start to use it in, in a marketplace which is all sustainable, all around sustainability. And we have some very smart ideas around that as well. So it's not the traditional marketplace as you know it. But that's the idea of Forum.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very intriguing concept, especially the rewards and the punishment thing which you mentioned. Right? So you're focusing on the positive and yeah. either way, it, it will not only Help the economy and the and the sustainability. It will also make people feel good rather than feel bad about something being taken away. So there is no space for guilt here. There is no, sp- in fact, there is space for a positive emotion, which can then reinforce it. And in fact, there is a space for pride here that I'm doing something and I'm proud of that, yeah. rather than feeling guilty about and compensating that with something else.
1: And just to add on that, of course, of course, it's all going, it's all gamified. It's all the leaderboards. You can also be in different teams and now mm-hmm. the teams can compete. And now Eindhoven can, they have, I think in Eindhoven, they have a, a club, football club. Can yeah. compete against the Ajax on who is more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Now we're adding the competition. Also the behavior of the fan club, et cetera, who is more sustainable. Someone will win, but at the end of the way, the day, we're all winners. Because even if Ajax coming second place, still Ajax fan club was part of something of creating something good that I can feel proud about. Yeah. And that's why I love it so much. Because as you say, it's a new way of thinking. There is also no punishment in our system. So if now you decided that you want to drive, we don't punish you. We say, hey, Sumit, so look, now you drove. This is how much emission you emitted, but we are not taking tokens because now you drove. It's only the and the last and not least, which I really love about this economy, is that 1,000 steps that you will do, and one st- 1,000 steps that Bill Gates will do, and the girl in, in, in Uganda will do, will have the same value because mm-hmm. it reduces the same em- amount of emissions and have the same token that has the same value. So. You show me another economy that is so, we're talking about being equal that gives you that equalness.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And coming back to yourself personally, right? So now you have shifted. You have taken a right turn or a U-turn in your life, doing something very different, taking on a much bigger responsibility, but without the burden. How does it feel? How do you feel right now in like that you are able to contribute to something like that?
1: Number one, there is still a lot of work to do. It doesn't make me anxious or, or restless. Um, I understand it is a process. I had a call because we, our business model is also working with corporates. So it's b 2 b to c because we think we should all work together. And with cities and, and, and universities and, and uh, uh, football clubs. I had a call with, with a corporate like two weeks ago, and I told them the first sentence I said was that I was waiting for this call 18, 18 years. So for one hand, I feel blessed that the world is listening, the world understands, the world see how different is our value proposition because we are very different from the crowd that is dealing with offsetting. I have a lot to say about offsetting, but maybe not now. And it's okay to offset. I just think that offset has to come. In addition to the actual, and I feel blessed, I feel blessed and humbled that I have this opportunity to do something, which is probably, which is much bigger than me, not probably, but it's much bigger than me. It's just that I think that, A, I need help Hmm. from other people that are more capable than me in, in, in certain disciplines. I'm, I know what I'm not good at. And by the way, when people, when I'm, that's the first sentence I'm telling to investors is what I'm not good at. So they just have to know what are they going into, which I think it's fair. I think it's fair to be honest with myself and with others, but I feel now, I feel that we are on the verge of something which really can make an impact. And when I talk an impact, I'm thinking in minimum 5% reduction of the global emissions and even more, So that's the way of thinking. And I can see how this can happen now.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I love how you describe this as an opportunity and how you see that there's a lot to do and then you can't do it all and you need help. And yet there was this weight in your voice. I think it is a weight of responsibility and leadership, but not which which makes you feel weak or which makes you feel burdened. So I love that because it was like, as you said earlier, it was a felt experience in your voice there's a long way to go. I don't have all the answers, but I'm still very blessed, very proud, and I see this as an opportunity to serve. So, for thank you for expressing that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
1: So, mate, you ask me what does it mean for me to be a human being. I assume that's what that's the answer.
0: Absolutely, yes, yes. And that's a wonderful answer and I think you're living it. And the best answers are those which we can live it. So rather than just speak it.
1: I that- think that there are many other people that live in that. I think that we could have more people that living in this because in order to stop and reverse climate, we need people that can execute, that can lead. I think that we have, give and take, we do have today the technologies to reduce, what we still don't have is the technology to take the CO2 from the atmosphere. That is, is, there are companies working on that and I'm sure that we will get there, but we are not deploying sufficiently what we already know, and this is because there are too many interests on the existing money-making machines. So with such a technology, sorry, of a new economy like Cora, we can actually help to deploy and to accelerate those new technologies. And it's not only around energy. It's energy, food, passion, you name it. There are so many technologies. There are so many amazing entrepreneurs, inventors, people out there and all what we're trying to do is to help them to accelerate the process by reversing the economy.
0: Absolutely. And I think what you shared, what we talked about earlier about fear, I think is a big part of which drives that old like positions or defensiveness, which makes it difficult for a new conversation to move ahead.
1: And sorry to say that also great people, there's so much money is made from from so many things which are harmful for us as humanity and people don't want to stop. It's never enough. A lot is never enough and more yeah. than a lot is never enough. And I would like to make them, I, as I said, I'm happy for them to get richer. You can mm-hmm. get richer with Cora, which is representing the reduction rather than the emissions.
0: Yes, yes. And I think greed is another expression of fear that the risk of losing or not having enough and then that leads to grabbing or getting more and that creates a lot of externalizing so you still have a cost but you don't see it for yourself so to to wrap it up right the conversation we have we just had is a very different conversation than what we normally see in the business world in the even in the economic or capitalist world and a lot of people are not ready to have this kind of openness, this kind of awareness, being an observer, what advice would you give to somebody who is trapped in the same cycle of fear, greed, but not seeing that as fear and greed of a cycle? How would you bring them to your side? How would you begin to change their perspective?
1: That's a very difficult one because I think giving advice is telling to other people what I would do in, in, if I would be in their place. That's why I try not to give advice. It's only reflecting of what we believe. I think that as long, and that's, I'm not, I don't see myself as a special person. I just, what happened to me is that fears were so painful for me that triggered me to act. and. I'm, maybe I'm disappointing someone out there, but I cannot give really advice. Maybe the best I can give is if any person can, s- from time to time, just stop, stop the, all the noise. We have so much noise around. It's coming from all the directions and just try to be with one cell and try to become observant. It doesn't have to be meditation. People sometimes are afraid, but just to breathe, just to turn off everything for five minutes or for seven minutes. And maybe that can be a starting of a process. That's the best I can I can give.
0: I think there is so much wisdom there as well, right, Gilad, in what you're saying, because it's not like somebody is better than or superior or ahead, okay. and they can impart advice. It's that everything is in front of you, but because you are not stopping or you're always in that rush, you're not seeing it. And sometimes by just stopping, pausing, Allowing things to settle down, you will see it for yourselves. I think that's the message and that's, it's again, a wonderful reflection for anybody who is listening and want to see a different perspective. You don't have to find the answer anywhere else. Just slow down and you will see it for yourself. I think that's a wonderful perspective.
1: I lately, like in, in the last 12 months, I started to stand on nails, start practicing standing on nails. And people, my friends, ah, you're crazy. What are you doing? Are you et cetera? And the nails, I found them through the pain. I found that the pain is a great teacher to me. It's teaching me a lot about myself. The pain gives me such a blessing for going inside myself. So it's not that I'm now recommending everyone to run to stand of nails, people can do. Whatever they do, and they should be very careful. But I think that sometimes triggering something which is quite unusual, which is different than what we used to do, can help us a lot. And today, for me, the nails are my biggest guide in life. The biggest guide in life.
0: Thank you. Yeah, this is, I think this is the first time I'm hearing something like this. But this is very beautiful. Not just physical pain, I think emotional pain can also be... A lesson can also teach us a lot if we allow it to. If we don't see that as enemy, as a, as something to get rid of. So thank you for that, that piece of wisdom as well, Ilad. So for anybody who is listening to this and who wants to reach out and know more about or you and what are you up to, how can they find out? How can
1: they reach out? is a great place. Gilad Regev, I think I'm the only Gilad Regev out there. I think so, but it's easy to find me. And I'm uh, always happy to share with others and to help others. I think that giving is receiving and it doesn't matter if it's people I don't know, I'm always happy to, to say what I think, not to give an advice.
0: Wonderful, Gilad, for your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you shared and for who you are and what you do and how you do it. I think there's so much of, of content or insights here that we can continue for hours, but I have to finish this, but I want to wish you the best for everything that you're up to. And I think every step that you're taking, you're making, making it richer for yourself, for the people you're working with, but also for those whom you have no idea you are touching in many different ways. So
1: me, thank you so much for reaching out. I didn't know what to expect and but I'm happy that you're, you're you're a very good listener and that's, I appreciate that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I love these uh, unprepared and very raw and authentic conversations. But thank you for having one one of them with me.
1: Thank you. Take care.
0: Perfect. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride, and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but also for those around you. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. I say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear, to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp. If you like the sound of it, do not forget to leave a rating. I invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com slash newsletter. You can also reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook to share any other comment or feedback. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.